and, and what Christmas actually means. Now, before I get into uh, this morning's message, it'll be the fourth installment of this series, I just want to preview next week. Uh, I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm uh, preaching a message simply called, Why Jesus? It's a one-off message. Uh, it's something I might do every year, different kind of angle. But just, have you ever asked yourself this question? Like, why Jesus? Not why church, but why Jesus? And, and then, has anyone else ever asked you that question? Why Jesus? And if they have, have you got an elevator pitch that you might be able to give them. In other words, getting this clarity of our conviction is critical for us to say, I know why I chose to follow Jesus. I am clear on that. And because of that, because of that clarity, because of that passion, this is why I'm committed to investing and inviting and being used by Jesus to have other people choose to follow him as well. So be here, bring people. Uh, by the way, there's a sneaky little pro tip. If people that you're inviting on December 23 tell you they can't make it December 23, see, it's fine. You can come on the December 16th. Pro tip, all right? Don't take no for an answer. So this uh, series, Mary and Bride, as I said this morning, we're actually teaching the fourth installment, and we've really just been taking some lines from, I guess, uh, Christmas songs, Christmas carols, and, and the central themes that they've been birthed out of um, to, 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 to focus in on the real message of Christmas. Week one, I talked about Jesus being and bringing joy to the world. Uh, the second week, Jesus being the light of the world and how we get to choose whether or not we want to live in darkness, live in ignorance, live in frustration, or to live and walk in the light that Jesus came to provide. Now, last week, our amazing Tanya Watson um, preached a message from the book of Numbers, and uh, I wasn't here for that. But let me just say, it's a good thing I have a solid ego because I got more positive encouragement about how great Tanya's message was than I ever get about anything I do up here. So, uh, and, yeah, all right, all right. Well, yeah, I know we, oh, yeah, yeah. But listen, if you missed that or you're joining with us the first time, we make all those messages available on our podcast. You can uh, look at, uh, in our app and listen to that or just search wherever you get great podcasts and look for Elevate Church Perth and uh, we'll show up there. And uh, the thing about even when I'm saying recommending just jumping in on the podcast, let me helicopter up and give you a bigger idea. In these next couple of weeks where the pace of some aspects of your life are going to accelerate, where there's going to be some unique seasonal things creep into your calendar, please can I encourage you, don't discard the very things that cause you to live a grounded life following Jesus. Please continue to make time for reading your Bible, prayer, listening to worship, listening to great podcasts, because actually those things are going to keep you anchored when some of this seasonal insanity starts to escalate. Today I want to talk about the idea that Jesus brings hope to the world, that Jesus actually is the hope of the world. And it's important for us to understand this concept of hope. The concept of hope is intrinsically tied to our expectations, that when we have hope for something, we're actually saying we, we hope that something will happen. We, we're expecting that something will happen. And it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, this concept of hope, because 
Some of you will identify with this. When we set our hopes too high or we think we set our hopes too high, we may be kind of a little bit hope shy, a little bit timid, a little bit awkward thinking, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe that was a mistake. Maybe setting my hopes high is, just, is actually just setting me up for disappointment. And if you've ever had your hopes up and those hopes haven't been met, if we're not careful, we can buy into a, a cycle of disappointment, unmet expectations that ultimately allow us and see us reducing our hope. And I just want to say, don't lower your hope. Christmas, in fact, is filled with hope. You may not even realize it, but you've actually got some hope already coming out leading up to this Christmas. Some of you, your hope is in whether Santa will bring you the gift you wrote to him and asked for. Some of you are hoping you're going to see a loved one that you haven't seen for a while. Some of you are hoping you're going to have some time to relax with family and friends. Some of you, you're um, still hopeful, but maybe it's a little bit lower. Maybe you're just hoping to get the gifts wrapped on time. Hoping that if you're the one cooking the meal, that you don't forget something on the shopping list. Maybe hoping that this year, for the first time, God helping that Uncle Frank will finally keep his mouth shut after his third <laughs> glass of wine. You've got hopes whether you realize it or not. And I want to actually take us back to the first Christmas. And I want to take, it back, take us back to an account that John wrote. Now, if you've got our Elevate app, you can tap the Bible tile. It'll open you up to, to John's account of essentially the first Christmas and around the time of the first Christmas. Now, here's a little bit of, uh, just to zoom out, there were four dudes who recorded uh, aspects or uh, instances of Jesus' time on this earth. Matthew... Mark, Luke, and John. I want to airdrop us into John's account. But when we look at the Christmas story, if you read Matthew's account, if you read Luke's account, that's where we get to see all the stuff that we're used to uh, and maybe associate with Christmas. That's where you're going to read about the angels. That's where we're going to read about the manger. That's where we're going to read about there's no room at the inn and about the shepherds and about the wise men. We're going to read about them in, in Matthew. We're going to read about them in Luke. John, however makes no reference to any of those things that we might usually associate with the first Christmas. And the reason is, is that John understood that Jesus' journey, Jesus' life didn't actually begin on the first Christmas. And here's what John wrote. The Word was first. The Word present to God. God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Now, if uh, you go to Bible college, you will learn that this word, Word, the reason it's a capital W, is actually John was using this word, Word, instead of using Jesus. And really, he's taking us back to the beginning of creation. Beginning of creation, God created in the heavens and the earth with the words that He spoke. He spoke creation into existence, but he didn't actually have to speak Jesus into existence. John's saying that Jesus already existed with God from the very, very beginning. And he didn't just, just exist like hanging out with God. He was actually there ready for a mission. From the very beginning of time, Jesus was set to perform and fulfill a mission. Reading this, 
Just this first slice of John's account is like there's a, there's a drama building. There's a tension building. There's a, there's, a, there's a sense of expectation building that, man, this Jesus who was there from the beginning of time, he was already there, ready, poised, ready to be unleashed to do a mission, to do what God wanted him to do. And, and so John's building this drama. Then John talks about the word became flesh and blood. So we know this. This is the Christmas story. The word Jesus became flesh and blood, was, was born a baby in a manger, and he moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes. This was not some kind of historical fairy tale uh, story. This was actually people, eyewitnesses, writing that we saw this, the word that was in existence from the beginning of time, moved into the neighborhood in flesh and blood. We saw him with our own eyes, this one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous, inside and out, true from start to finish. And John's building this drama, and he's building this drama. And then the next thing he goes on to write about is, is, is John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptist. He was just John. Not this John, but he was John, who did some baptizing. And, and he was in the river baptizing people. And people come up to him and said, are you the one? Is it you? We've been waiting for this Messiah, this Savior, for, for thousands of years. Is it you? Is it you? And John's like, ah, oh, no, it's not me. It's not me. I mean, I'm good and all, but no, it's not me. In fact, in fact, if you think I'm impressive, let me tell you, the one who's coming, the one you are waiting for, the one you've got your expectations high, the one you, you've got your hopes high for, man, I ain't even worthy to tie up his shoelaces. That's how much better he is than I am. And then John says, all of a sudden, as John's doing that and he said that, Jesus comes walking down the, the, the hill to the river and John's like, everyone, that's him. Behold the Lamb of God. This word, that's him right there, right there. Here he comes. And then, and then John has the enormous privilege, think about this, of actually baptizing Jesus. And John wrote that as John the Baptist baptized Jesus, a dove came from the heavens and descended and, and rested upon Jesus. It's like... Wow, man, this expectation, it's, it's building. And, and then out of that, this moment, this public kind of declaration, this public kind of reveal that Jesus is the one, Jesus then went around gathering his first followers, walking up to young men and saying, hey, will you give up your profession? Will you leave familiar circumstances and come follow me? And one after another after another actually took him at his word. And, and they didn't even know he was the son of God, but they knew something was special about him. And they wanted to get behind him. And when he said, come follow me, they gave up their professions. They left friends, families, familiar circumstances and went about following him. And there's, this, there's this dramatic tension building. There's this sense of expectation. This, this Jesus, this word that was there from the beginning is now actually being sent into the neighborhood. He's actually been unleashed on the earth and he's getting busy. He's being baptized. He's getting his posse together. Man, big things are about to happen. And then you turn over to chapter 2. And we find Jesus in a very ordinary setting. And this is what John points to. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples. They were guests also. Now, I'm not saying weddings are ordinary. If you're getting married, God bless you. I hope it's a great day for you. But I'm just saying that weddings happen. This wasn't the only wedding in history. It wasn't the first. It wasn't the last. And, and yet, of all these things, this buildup that John's been talking about, Jesus from the beginning, and now he's come in flesh and blood, and we saw his glory, and, and now he's at a wedding. And, and he's just there. 
He's not officiating the ceremony. He, he's not doing a celebrity appearance. Jesus Kardashian. Uh, he's, he's, not, he's, he's, just, he's not even the best man. He's just there. He's one of the guests among what would have probably been hundreds of guests. And, and not only was this a sort of more ordinary, common occurrence, this place, Cana, in, uh, in Galilee, uh, do you want to, um, let's, let's uh, push the next button, and there we go. Um, this place, Cana, in Galilee, it was so ordinary that it wasn't even on the map. In fact, if you join a Bible uh, land discovery tour and you go over there, you won't, no one knows where Cana was. It was so ordinary. It didn't even kind of make history apart from here. And so here we have Jesus sent into the neighborhood at a wedding in a very ordinary place. And yet one thing I want us to understand is Jesus does some of his best work in ordinary places. And some of you may have lowered your expectations and lowered your hope because you've actually thought that you're too ordinary or your situation's too ordinary or your job's too ordinary or your relationship's too ordinary or you're just among the crowd. And yet, here we have the Word in an ordinary place at an ordinary event, but God does some of His best work in ordinary places. And you might ask yourself the question, well, why was Jesus there? And it's a very profound question with a very simple answer. Because he was invited. <laughs> Unless you're a wedding crasher, Jesus was there for the same reasons that you go to weddings. It's because somebody invited you. And we can keep Jesus at a distance. We can keep him at arm's length. We can actually crop him out of the thing we're hoping for. Or we can invite him. And one thing I read about time after time after time is Jesus was phenomenal at turning up when he was invited. Now, I've been threatening to tell my first chicken story for uh, many months now. and God bless you all for being here. Today's the day. <laughs> You're going to be able to tell your grandkids, I was there the day Mark Pomeroy told his first chicken story. First of many, I'm sure. So Louie and I, we, uh, at our urban farm in Kensington, we have four chickens, affectionately and corporately uh, referred to as the real chickens of Kensington. Uh, one of those chickens is the chicken that I chose. Uh, her name's Clock Norris. Uh, Clock Norris, I've got a photo of her up here. This is, uh, this is Clock Norris. And um, of the four chickens, Clock's kind of been at the top of the pecking order for the last several months since we've had her. Uh, it's fine, and she's just been doing hen chickeny things, uh, eating little bits of food, drinking little bits of water, laying some delicious eggs, and uh, just doing chicken things. Um, two days ago, we noticed that her behavior was, was changing, and, and she was just starting to become like a real weirdo. And I'm like, oh, man. So I asked the internet, you know, look at the signs of symptoms. I asked the internet, you know, what, what happens when a chicken does this? What does it mean if a chicken's doing that? And the internet's giving it up for me. I'm like, okay. Turns out, She's brooding, okay? Now, here's how this, thanks to the internet, here's how that works. Chickens, hens, have a natural instinctive uh, response at some point, particularly late spring, early summer, 
to um, give birth to chicks via their eggs. Now, here's the thing. We don't have a rooster in uh, our urban farm. Those eggs that you're laying, they are not destined to become chickens. They are destined to become breakfast. <laughs> Problem is, Cluck doesn't seem to understand that. So Cluck's up in the nesting box, and Cluck is sitting on the eggs. So, all right, the internet tells you to pull the eggs out. That's fine. I'm hungry. I go down. I pull the eggs out. Cluck stays there. It turns out Cluck has this hormonal thing going on so strong that she's now sitting on imaginary eggs. <laughs> Horrible. Anyway, she won't come out, and if you leave her there too long, she'll lose weight and potentially even starve to death. We don't want that. Um, and... Uh, so I go up there, I have to pick her out, I pick her up, I have to put her outside, I do that, pick her up, put her outside, she comes back in again, it's like, ooh, there's a battle of wills going on here, Mark Pomery versus Clock Norris. <laughs> mm. It's game on, Clock. <laughs> and then I picked her up this uh, early on in the, in the process, I picked her up and I noticed all of the feathers on her chest were all gone and it was just this bare skin and it was... It was disgusting. It was awful to look at. I accidentally touched it. I'm like, yeah, gross. And I'm like, okay, what's that? I go, I ask the internet. The internet tells me that Cluck Norris, in her broodiness, she uh, it wants to make the nest box with her eggs, with the chicks inside. There's no eggs, no chicks. Uh, she wants to make it comfortable for them, so she's feathering her nest. Okay, a lot of these things coming. Feathering her nest. So she's plucking the feathers out of her own uh, chest and, and laying them around the nesting box. So I said to her, listen, <laughs> Clark, that's just gross. That's just nasty. Like, not only... Do I want you to stop doing that? You don't even have to do that. If, if you really do think that there's going to be some baby chicks in your near future coming out of these invisible imaginary eggs, if you really do think that, guess what? You don't have to feather your nest with your own feathers. I have got so much bedding material. I can make that nest so comfortable. I can bury not only those little chicks, I can bury you in the bedding material that I've got in my shed. You don't have to feather your own nest. All you have to do is look up at me and invite me in. Now, I worked really hard to make this chicken story work in this message. Some of you, wait for it, Some of you, you haven't had your prayers answered because you've been feathering your own nest. Some of you, your hope was set once very, very high. Your expectations were set very, very high. And yet, over time, those expectations haven't been met. And so instead of keeping your hope high, you've actually been lowering the bar. But the reason that you haven't had your hopes met, that is because you haven't invited Jesus in. And all the while, he's looking at you, plucking your own feathers, Feathering your own nest, trying to do it all yourself. That relationship that's just not working and you think if you just work harder at it, 
It's going to get better, but it hasn't. And so instead of keeping your hopes up and inviting Jesus into that relationship, chances are you've actually lowered your expectations and lowered your hopes. Maybe you've been trying to become debt-free, get out of debt, live financially free. And you've been looking at the, 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 the lessons and, and putting the things into practice, but stuff keeps on breaking or you feel like it's one step forward, but then one step back. And, and the question I ask you is, have you invited Jesus in to that financial situation? Maybe some of you have destructive ways of thinking or destructive behavioral patterns. And if you, you think, if I just have more willpower... I'm going to break this thing. And, 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 and you're feathering your own nest. And Jesus is saying, it's not working, but I don't want you to lower your hope. I want you to hold hope high. And I want you to invite me in. Don't lower your expectations. Invite Jesus in. So back to this story. They're at this wedding. John records that when they started running low on wine, the, the, the guests, the, the, the wedding goers, when they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. And Jesus said, is that any of my business, mother, yours or mine? Now, by the way, it's just about every situation I would tell you, do what Jesus does. This is not one of them. Don't ever speak to your mother this way, all right? <laughs> just saying. Is that any of my business, <laughs> mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. And Mary did what mothers like to do. She went ahead anyway. <laughs> Telling her servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Now, to give some context, in this culture, in this time, the idea of running out of anything was incredibly shame-filled, that they would have been preparing for this wedding for, for a long time, preparing for every single aspect of it, preparing for the logistics, saving up the, the money. And so when they invited people, that, that, that if you were to ever run out of anything, the actual message you were sending to the wedding guest is either you're a total nufty and you don't know how to organize stuff, so it reflects on you, that you're too poor to deliver on what the invite promised or that you actually don't really care too much about the guests. And when you're kind of done with them, it's like, rack off, we're done. Headed to Hawaii. Mary, instead of pointing to them and calling them out, filling them with shame, she actually seemingly felt some compassion. And so she said to Jesus, and you notice what she said to him. They're just, just back it up. They're just about out of wine. Now, this looks like an observation. They're just about out of wine. Well, that would have just been a Captain Obvious thing to say because everyone would have known that. Mary says this, this was not Mary making an observation. This was Mary giving Jesus a nudge with the hope that he was going to do something about changing that situation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said something to Jesus that sounded like an observation, but really it was a nudge? Jesus, I've been out of, job, out of a, a job for quite some time now. It, it's, it's not like he didn't know that, but you're giving him a nudge. 
Jesus, I've been struggling with this health issue for months. Jesus, we've been trying to get out of debt for ages. And if you have, have you ever felt like you got the same response that Jesus got? You gave him a nudge and he just pushed back. Is there any of my business? And if you feel like he's been saying that to you, it's almost natural that you're just going to lower your hope and lower your expectation. But Mary knew something that you and I need to know. That our hope isn't built on our circumstances. Our hope is built on who Jesus is. And Mary knew better than anybody at this time in history that Jesus could do something about it. And she refused to lower her expectations. She refused to take no for an answer. And she didn't just refuse to take no for an answer because she's a stubborn mom. She refused to take no for an answer because she knew who she was asking to intervene, to bring hope, and to solve this situation. And so she went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And six stoneware water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. I, I want you just ordinary pots, ordinary event, ordinary city, and now they're presenting Jesus with ordinary pots, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each of them held 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus ordered the servants, having told his mum he wasn't going to, fill the pots with water. Ordinary event in an ordinary place. They brought some ordinary jugs and Jesus filled it with ordinary water. They filled them to the brim and now fill your pitchers and take them to the host. And Jesus, Jesus said, and they did. And when the host tasted the water, it become wine. He didn't know what had happened. just knew the servants and... Servants knew. He called out to the bridegroom, everyone I know begins with the finest wines and after the guests have had their fill and couldn't taste the difference, they bring out the cast wine. And, uh, but you save the best till now. Ordinary event, a wedding. In an ordinary place, Cana, that we can't even find. Brought out some ordinary jugs and just filled with ordinary water. But the hope wasn't in the event. The hope wasn't in the city. The hope wasn't in the jugs. The hope wasn't in the water. The hope in all of this was in Jesus. And if you think Jesus isn't spectacular, if you, if you think, well, first of all, if you think because your life isn't spectacular, that that's a reason to hold back, they put just six washing vessels in front of Jesus. They filled them with just ordinary water that you could have got from anywhere. They didn't fill it with the bad wine and ask Jesus to turn bad wine into good wine. They filled it with water and asked him to turn that into wine. So don't ever think that just because your life seems relatively ordinary, just because your Instagram feed doesn't look as good as Kanye's, just don't think for a moment that that disqualifies you, that that's a reason that you need to reduce and lower your expectations. No, Jesus specializes in doing extraordinary things with ordinary things, doing extraordinary things in ordinary places. And so put it in his hands. And he doesn't just, he doesn't just kind of meet our expectations. He's got a great habit of blowing right past our expectations. This calculation 
Each of these six uh, vessels held 20 to 30 gallons of wine. They, Jesus made approximately, in this moment, in this miracle, 800 bottles of wine. Not airline bottles, bottles, bottles. 800. And not just ordinary wine, but the best wine. And really this speaks to something of who God is. It, it speaks to something of who God is and, and because of who God is, of, of why we can actually keep our hopes up. You're going to have some cynical people in your life. When you tell them, I'm still struggling in this relationship, still trying to get out of debt, still looking for jobs, it's been a while now, but I've been praying, you'll have some well-meaning people, even some well-meaning Christians, tell you this, well, don't want to get your hopes up. When someone says that to you, turn around and run. Because I want to tell you, you do need to get your hopes up. It, it, even in the bleakest circumstances, you'd better get your hopes up because God has something even better for you than you can dream or imagine. God's not just about helping us get by. He's about actually seeing us fulfill the hopes, the dreams, the promises, the vision, the destiny, the calling, everything that he's placed in us. He wants to bring out in and through us. And so we better keep our hopes up. So this morning, I want to do two things. One, I, I, Louis already, uh, I kind of opened this uh, already, but I want to give us another opportunity. Maybe just having heard some of this from God's word, there's a renewed sense of hope in you. I want to pray for you right where you are. If you've got something that you have actually been lowering the bar of expectations, can I ask you in a moment, in a moment, to reset the bar? And I want to pray for you at that new altitude. Whatever it is, I've referenced relationships, I've referenced finances, I've referenced health, I've referenced jobs, I've referenced destructive behavioral patterns, I've referenced ways of thinking, old ways, small ways, negative ways, whatever it is. And you've just accepted it as the new normal and you've lowered the bar of expectations lower and lower and lower. Can I encourage you right now in this moment, reset the bar. Reset the bar. And, and let's take a moment to pray that Jesus is going to both give you the strength and the courage to keep the bar high and ultimately to exceed your expectations. So if that's you, just I don't even need to know what it is because I'm going to pray and trust that God knows what it is. But if that's you, can I pray for you? And you just let me know if that's someone, you're someone that you want me to pray good on you. Who else? Just quickly slip your hand up. You put your hand down. Just show me, just so I know a sense of who I'm praying for. Fantastic. Fantastic. Hope for the world. Good on you, buddy. You can put your hand down. Good on you, guys. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I don't know the reasons why people have put their hands up. I don't know what it is they've been hoping for. I don't know what's behind that. I don't know what's caused them to maybe lower the bar. But God, I trust in this moment that you not only know that they were running out of hope, that you know why, and that in this moment, you know what it's going to take to fill them with renewed sense of hope, renewed sense of strength, 
renewed sense of courage. God, I pray that you infuse them with this hope that comes from knowing who you are, that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than they can even ask for or imagine. God, I'm not praying that you meet their needs. I'm not praying that you meet their hopes. God, I pray that you will exceed their needs. You'll exceed their hopes, God, that you will actually surprise them, surprise them with just when and how well you answer this renewed hope. In Jesus' name, I pray that. Amen. Hey, I want to do one more thing. We've been doing this these last few weeks, and it's been blowing us away with the response. I want to give you an opportunity to follow Jesus. John recorded that after Jesus got baptized, he went around, you know, he, he went around asking some people. You know what he didn't ask them? Will you come and join my church? Will you give financially to me? Will you, will you support my ministry? Will you like my Facebook page? He, you, you know, he asked them all a very simple question. Will you come follow me? And I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning to follow Jesus. If you've never actually made the decision to follow him right here, right now, I'm going to give you that opportunity. So in a moment, I just want you, like we did a moment ago, but for a different reason now, to put your hand up. And for you to say, yeah, that's me today. I'm going to make that decision. Jesus asks me, and asks you to come follow him. And if you've never made that decision for the very first time, we're giving you that opportunity right now. So those of you, you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. How about you say yes to that, that question, come follow me. And for those of you that are ready to make that decision and say, yes, I will follow you today, from today, Jesus. How about you just put your hand up. And when I see your hand, you put it down. And then I'm going to pray for you just like I did. Pray for you from the stage. So just quickly, just say, that's me this morning. I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't want to miss anybody. Cool. Okay. Let me pray it's a related prayer. Louis is going to come up and land this plane before I crash it. Can I pray for the people that you're investing and inviting leading up to Christmas? And... Uh, we sincerely hope and pray that next Sunday and the Sunday after that we will have an overwhelming number of people say yes to follow Jesus. That the joy and the light and the hope that he brings, that they'll actually take that into their hearts and lives. So you've got some names, some friends, some family members, some colleagues, some Facebook friends, some fellow students, neighbors, that you've been investing in and you've, you're gonna invite, I'm gonna pray for them. You know their names. How about you bring their names out of your memory bank and put them front and center in your mind and your heart and let me pray for them this morning. God, for those of us that have been investing and are in the process of inviting, God, give us wise words. Give us sensitive, Holy Spirit-led timing. Give us opportunity, God, and and cause us to have the strength and the courage and the obedience and the wisdom to actually take those opportunities. And that we will see on the 16th and the 25th of December here in this facility, many, many, many of those people that we've been praying for and investing in and will be inviting make a decision to follow you this Christmas. The best gift that we could ever give them is the light and the joy and the hope of the world that is Jesus. Amen.
All right, and here's Louie.